lower than the angels. I found this week when I was studying Hebrews 2 that I'd, I'd, looked, I'd studied down to verse 18 and I'd got about three pages of notes and I thought, well, that's not much. And um, that was earlier in the week and when I sat down again to study it again, then I kind of began to really get into it and think it through more thoroughly. And then I found how broad and how deep this section of scripture is. When I looked at the commentaries, I, you know, some of them had like 40 pages on just a few verses. I thought, this is, this, is, this is big stuff here. And so, you know, there are times when you, you might think I know the Bible well. There's other times when I think, my goodness, did I ever read this before? Did I ever see this before? You know? The Bible is a profound book, isn't it? I, you know, you can spend te- decades reading through the Bible and then suddenly you come to a passage you think you know and you go, wow. Wow. Your commandment is very broad, says the Old Testament scripture. So at the start of yesterday morning, I had a sermon that covered verses 5 to 18, and it was getting up to 13 pages. So by lunchtime, I cut it in half. <laughs> Let's pray. We humble ourselves in your presence, Lord. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that you will give us revelation. Because it's one thing to hear, it's one thing to read, but, oh, we need you to help us to see that light enters our minds, our hearts, and that the, the power of God comes to us through the Word of God. It enables us. It equips us. It changes us. We are not those who are merely informed by your word of truth. We are transformed by the renewing of our minds as your truth reaches us and teaches us. Do that today, we pray, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. To give you the background again, I'm going to do this piece by piece. I'm not going to read it all to you. You can open your Bible at Hebrews 2, verse 5, down to verse 13. That's what we're doing today. This letter was written in the early 60s AD as persecution against Christians was started by the Roman Emperor Nero. I thought of putting his face up there, but I thought, why should I put that wretch up there? Judaism was a protected religion in the Roman Empire at that time, protected by law. So the very real trial of faith for Christians from a Hebrew or Jewish background at that time was to turn away from Jesus back to Judaism. Now we not, may not face that precise trial of faith, but as Tamsin and Carol were saying earlier, you know, we are in a battle. And if you do not think we face opposition and trial today, you're probably asleep on the battlefield. Now for the sake of time, I'm not going to go back over chapter 1 and chapter 2. The one we did in end of January is take heed that you don't drift. Verse 1 to verse 4. We've got to move ahead. Remember the big headlines are in Hebrews are this. Jesus is better and it's all about Jesus. The whole thing. The Old Testament. The whole book. It's all about Jesus. But the first verses we're looking at today 
sound as if they're about Jesus, but they're not. They're about us. They're about man. For he, God, did not subject to angels the world to come concerning which we are speaking. Write a song about the new heaven and the new earth, the age to come. It isn't subjected to angels. In a sense, this world is subjected to angels. There are angels that have some influence in government over nations, it seems, in the scriptures. And though some of them are evil and some are good, I don't understand all that completely. But to the new age, to the new heaven and the new earth, the world to come is committed into the hands of Jesus and to all who are in Jesus. But before considering the world to come, we've got to consider this world, the first creation, the world as it is now. Think back to Genesis 1 and 2. God made the world as a place to put man in, in his own image. This world is a marvellous thing, but it's only a beautiful room. It was designed to be the habitation, the dwelling place of God with his children. The quotation that comes next in Hebrews is from Psalm 8. Oh, it's a bit too small. It's about us. Not really about Jesus yet. It's about us. Someone somewhere has testified saying, What is man that you remember him, or the son of man that you're concerned about him? You've made him a little lower than the angels. You've crowned him with glory and honor. You've appointed him over the work of your hands. You've put all things in subjection under his feet. That's what we were created for. We were created to be crowned with glory and honor. We were appointed over all the works of God's hands. He put all things to be in subjection to us, to men and women ruling this planet. Let me just read it to you. Genesis 1, verse 26. God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and the cattle and over the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created him, male and female. He created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Do you see what we were made for? Rulership. Glory. Honor. Children of God. Ruling under his fatherhood. The world he'd made for him and for ourselves. What authority and commission did we have to rule over God's creation? But then the writer of Hebrews says this, For in subjecting all things to him, he left nothing that is not subject to him. But we do not yet see all things subjected to him. That's a small statement with a big impact. Why don't we see everything subjected to him? Why are we, in some some many respects, wrestling with the planet and and having to defend ourselves from, from poisonous animals and and, and even things like, like midges and, paras- and parasites and mosquitoes and nasty things like that. Why are we not the rulers? One word. Give it to me. Sin. sin. Thank you. Sin. We sin. The fall of man in Genesis 3. The fall of man. 
We sin because the devil wanted us to sin. It's tradition of the rabbis that the fall of Satan and a third of the angels came after man was created and the angels of God were ordered to serve man. I think that while that rather adds to scripture, it does rather agree with scripture because when God rested on the seventh day, everything was good, wasn't it? So the fall of Satan must have been after the seventh day. Lucifer and those with him rebelled and were cast down from God's heaven. And then the devil set about bringing man, male and female, under his rule and under his condemnation. He's doomed. And he decided he was going to bring us down with him. The devil, appearing as a serpent, deceived the woman, and the man, though not deceived, joined her in disobedience and rebellion. God held Adam responsible. Many of us have said that, what would it have been if Adam had called out to God? And, or if he'd just stepped in and, 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 and whacked the serpent, you know? You don't mess with her, mate. But he didn't. Whatever, however we view that passage of Scripture, and I believe it's a literal, true account, it's not mythical, we lost the glory of God. We lost fellowship with God. We lost our purpose for being. We lost the reason for which we were created. We found ourselves naked and were ashamed. And therefore, we were then made a little lower than the angels. The holy angels still have access to the presence of God. They worship around his throne. We are excluded in sin from access to God's presence. We lose, have lost the knowledge of his love and his will. And we became mortal, subject to death. Man is a deposed and dejected ruler. We who were made to be kings over creation became slaves in sin and Satan. There's a common quote, which probably goes back to the Puritans. I, I can't trace how far back it goes. It's a very common one. Man is a magnificent ruin. might even be Shakespeare. Man is a magnificent ruin. You know, when you visit a ruined great house like that, or Abbey, you see the thickness of the walls and the great windows, which now stand empty and hollow. Great cellars are now open to the sky, which once held stores of grain and wine and preserves to feed hundreds. We are just like that. Magnificent ruins. There are still signs of what we once were, what we were made for, but we've lost our purpose. We've lost our powers. We've lost our dignity. But the problem goes deeper and further because we we carry on messing ourselves up big time, as they say. Instead of seeing our ruin and running to our maker for help, we carry on ruining ourselves. Demolishing some more of the wall. Knocking down even more of the structure. We damage our bodies and our souls. We fill ourselves. We fill our minds and hearts with rubbish. I use a polite word for your sake. We make false gods for ourselves. We make things and worship them. Like money and Maseratis. There's an advert on capital, unknown, classical 
FM, which I listened to in the gospel. And they're advertising buying a Maserati. Prices start at 49000 I said, they're talking to me. <laughs> Listen to it per. What, what are you doing? Why are you, why, why are you wasting my time? We make false gods for ourselves. And it's only, you know, when you stand back far enough, you think, isn't that, isn't that crazy? Isn't that ridiculous? But no, 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 most of the time we go, oh, oh yeah, that's lovely. We ruin ourselves. We keep on. As if we're not in enough trouble, we keep digging ourselves deeper down our hole. How can we be rescued? Who's going to do it? The answer immediately follows in Hebrews. Verse 9 to verse 13. And the headline is this. Jesus, eternal Son of God, was made lower than the angels as Son of Man for us. We don't see man in his rulership. We do not see man in the purpose and the dignity that he was created for. Listen to this. But we do see him who was made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus. Because of the suffering of death, he is now crowned with glory and honor. And by the grace of God, he has tasted death for everyone. Jesus joined us by being made a little lower than the angels. He became man and a mortal man. He came to where we were, subject to suffering. Now let me just mention here along the way this thing again about saving faith. We, we tend to get excited like little puppies, you know, that when someone says they believe in God. But, you know, believing in God doesn't get you very far. My friends, such a confession is a long way from saving faith. We are commanded not just to believe in God, but in God-made flesh, named Jesus. We believe in Jesus, Son of God and Son of Man. Jesus himself said, you believe in God, believe also in me. If you do not believe that I am, and that's the Yahweh word, you will die in your sins. We read it in John's Gospel, we preached it from 1 John. Saving faith is faith in God-made flesh. God come as a human in Jesus. Jesus became man, but then he went lower still. Made lower than the angels to become man, subject to suffering. Sent to die. But then he went lower still. Let me read to you Philippians 2. Famous scripture. It starts out remarkably, have this attitude in you that was in Christ Jesus. You think like this too. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. So although he existed in the form of God, that's not form meaning, not the real thing. He was the real deal. Did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, again, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death. On a cross. For this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, of those who are in earth, 
those who are in heaven, sorry, and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see these steps downwards that Jesus took. Eternal Son of God became the servant of God. Took upon himself servanthood. Took upon himself humanity. Took upon himself to suffer and die in sacrifice. Therefore, uh, let me just give this quote to you from John Brown. Jesus for a season became a mortal, suffering man. He's now an immortal, non-suffering man. You understand? He became capable of suffering that he might suffer. He became mortal that he might die. But then Philippians tells us that you've got to read this from the bottom upwards. I know that's not the way we read usually. Jesus was by the power of God and the will of God raised from death, exalted to heaven, given all authority in heaven and on earth. What were we made for? Jesus has received it. And he is to be worshipped as God. Jesus is to be honoured as God in flesh. That is the Father's will and command. The second person of the Trinity is now a human being with a human name, Jesus. He is both truly God and truly man. There is a man who was indeed born of a young virgin called Mary, who lived and died and rose again. And he is now seated in the throne of heaven, ruling the cosmos. All of creation belongs to Jesus. Everything must bow to him. Every mouth must confess that Jesus is God to the glory of God the Father, who commands that it be so. Here's a, here's a very early song or hymn in 1 Timothy. Paul writes by Common confession, great is the mystery of godliness. And then there's this little rhyming song. He who is revealed in the flesh was vindicated in the spirit. That is, raised from the dead. He was seen by angels. The word means messengers. Proclaimed among the nations. Believed on in the world. Taken up in glory. We have songs. Some of them say some pretty good things. I'm delighted that a lot of the songs fitted with what I'm saying this morning. This morning. But there's a song that just tells you in just those few phrases the story of Jesus. He was revealed in flesh. He was vindicated by the Spirit by him being raised from the dead. He was seen by messengers, those who would go and proclaim, eyewitnesses. I don't think it was angels of God. I think this is human messengers there. That's what the word can mean. He's being proclaimed among the nations. He's believed on the world, but he's actually now reigning in glory. By the grace of God, Jesus experienced, tasted is like, you know, don't think, oh, I'll taste and spit it out. No, he, he, ta- he ate death. Ate it up. Defeated it by taking it on. He died so that we will not die. Not die in the sense of being lost and cut off from God in darkness and solitude. We may die physically, but not spiritually. And according to scripture, some Christians will never die, but their mortal bodies will be transformed on the last day when Jesus transformed, when Jesus returns. They will not die, but they will be transformed by the resurrection of Jesus. But those of us who do die before that day, even we, don't taste death. You think, well, what, what about this hospital bed business? Yeah, 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 that's dying. What about being buried in the ground? Yeah, I know, that's, that's burial. 
But even if our bodies are buried in the ground, we will have a new and glorious one in the resurrection. And our souls do not enter some dark and lonely place between now and then. But like the promise that Jesus made to the thief next to him on the cross, we will be with him in paradise. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. Until the day of resurrection. Because Jesus suffered and died for us, he is now crowned with glory and honor. It's what we lost in our rebellion against God. It is what Jesus has won and now has, and it's what he will share with all who love him throughout all eternity. Andrew Murray says, What was true of man in promise, Genesis 1, we see fulfilled in Jesus, and what we see in Jesus will be made true of man. His humanity is the revelation of what we can be. His divinity, his godhood, is the pledge that we can be it. Now the apostolic writer in Hebrews pushes this further, gives us even more encouraging news, spells it out some more. For it was fitting for him, for whom are all things and through whom are all things, in leading many sons to glory to perfect the leader of their salvation through sufferings. Let me read on. For both he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all from one Father, for which reason he's not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will proclaim your name to my brethren. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, proclaim. I will put my trust in him, and again, behold, I and the children whom the Lord God has given me. Let's spell this out. The sovereign God, for whom are all things, and through whom are all things. Let's state it again and again in the adjustment. There is but one God, the Father, from whom are all things, and we exist for him. And our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we exist through him. Ephesians, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And then my favourite, it's on my 60th birthday cake, wasn't it? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Do you get it? I'm, I'm, in my head I'm, still, I'm working on the, the, the sermon for International Day, of course. Right. And I, I'm, I'm going with this idea, it's all about Jesus. Even... Now, I, you know, I have to say it politely, but if I was to say it really crudely, even your puny little life is all about Jesus. <laughs> Whoever you are. Yeah? When you wake up to that, you'll find some dignity and purpose. It's all about Jesus. From him and through him and to him. He's everything. All things. His glory is the end. His will is is the law of the universe. I love that phrase. I'm keeping that one. I don't even know if John Brown made it up or if he got it from somewhere else. His glory is the end. His will is the law of the universe. The whole thing is from him and through him and to him and so are you. That's why you live and breathe. We learn from Hebrews 1 that the Lord Jesus is also the creator and sustainer and heir of all things. So that's the, that the sovereign God we're talking about here. Sovereign, over of all things. He is leading many sons 
to glory. He created mankind to be his children. But they became his rebellious children, subject to sin and death, and his condemnation for their transgression, for their breaking of his law. Now, out of all of our fallenness, out of all of our rebellion, God has chosen children for himself and will bring them to himself to be his, to be with him. But since they are lost, they need to be saved. That's why he has given his son, Jesus. He sent his son from glory into a world of sin. Now we're going to pick up this word, maybe in your Bible, it's author. Author of our faith. The word author in the New New American, which is my version, is not the best translation. We think of authors as people who write books, don't we? In other words, an author might be somebody who writes stuff but doesn't do much. That's a possibility. Yeah? You know, they they write about it but they don't, you know, they don't do anything practical. That that is a wrong understanding. So author is not a good word for us nowadays. This Greek word archegos is best translated as this pioneer, captain. Prince, leader. In the book of Acts, twice this word is translated as prince. And twice in Hebrews, it's translated usually in most, most versions as author. But uh, further on in, 12, in chapter 12, it comes up as well. Therefore, since we've so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance of sin which so easily entangles us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, let me put the words in for you here, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. All right? He didn't just write it for us. He made the whole thing. Constructed every bit of it. And did it in himself, not out there, but in himself. He's the pioneer and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of God. Jesus is our pioneer, our leader. If you prefer army analogies, you can call him captain. So God is leading many sons to glory and he's perfected the leader of their salvation through sufferings. The sovereign God is sanctifying his children. Let me read it to you again. That means he's going to make us holy. He calls us holy and then he works in us to make us holy. It was fitting for him for whom are all things, through whom are all things, in leading many sons of glory to perfect, to bring to maturity the leader of their salvation through sufferings. Jesus was made fit for the task of being our leader, of being our saviour, later on we see of being our high priest, through the things he suffered. And not just in Holy Week, from Palm Sunday through, but through the whole of his life, all the things that he endured, all the trials, All the vexation, disappointments and rejections. Does that sound like human life to you? Okay, this is not to be embarrassing. Anybody let you down this week? Well, okay, I'm on my own. There's one brave soul at the back wants to agree with me. Anybody hurt you this week? Offended you this week? Okay, a bit more honesty coming along. Jesus was made perfect through his sufferings. 
Oh, I'd love to get to Hebrews 4 and 5 and preach that, but that's this world to come. For both he who sanctifies and those who sanctify are all from one Father. Why did Jesus go through life, not just through the final sufferings of death, so that he became exactly like us? He identifies with us. He knows us. Let me preach a bit of Hebrews 4 and 5. You can never say to Jesus, you don't know, you don't understand. You're the liar. He does. He does. For which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. For both he... Sorry, said it before, Jesus is going to sacrifice. Andrew Murray says, in suffering... See, Jesus didn't suffer to remove his sins. He didn't have any sins. It wasn't to get sin out of him. And we haven't thought that that's what, why we suffer. No, no, listen. In suffering, his will was perfected, his character fashioned. His dependence upon God the Father and delight in his will was confirmed and made manifest. Jesus was brought to maturity to be our representative. All that he experienced in life, and his life was just like your life, have qualified him to be pioneer, captain, prince, leader, and high priest. In all of this, he's our elder brother going ahead of us, calling us after himself, speaking encouragement to us. Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers. Now, don't get hung up, ladies. Gender-inclusive language here. The writer uses two Old Testament scriptures here. In fact, the writer to the Hebrews, it seems as if he's got the Greek version of the Old Testament called the Septuagint open because he, he actually quotes it so exactly. It's like he's got it open there, writing it. The first reference is from Psalm 22. I will proclaim your name to my brethren. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. Psalm 22. Psalm 22, Psalm of David, is a messianic psalm. The experiences that David is going through, through caused him to write this psalm out of his feelings, out of his uh, 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 sufferings, but he was speaking prophetically of David's greatest son, Jesus. He was prophesying about the Messiah. And taken with reference to Jesus, it starts at Golgotha. In fact, Jesus quoted verse 1 on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's Psalm 22, verse 1. And then in what happened to Jesus on the cross, the rest of the, the first half of that psalm was completely acted out at the cross in Jesus. But further down, the sufferer in the psalm is excited and, and, and affirming that he's going to see the goodness of God and he's going to see the reward of his suffering and he will, at the end of all of this, give thanks among his brothers and in the assembly or congregation, what we now call church. Jesus seen the reward of his suffering and Jesus gathers with us to worship his father just as we worship him the second is from Isaiah chapter 8 verses 17 and 18 I will put my trust in him behold I and the children whom God has given me during Isaiah's life his prophesying to the people of Judah was almost completely ignored by them he even arranged for the prophecies to be written down and stored so that a later generation would at least know that God had spoken. But there was a, there was a faithful remnant among the Jewish people. And in Isaiah 8, he writes, he's going to continue to trust the Lord and he's grateful that God has given him those who are faithful as his children for him to lead and care for. 
Isaiah also foreshadowed Jesus. Did all the Jewish nation receive Jesus? No. Did a remnant? Yes. God has entrusted those who are to be his children to the Lord Jesus. And he, get this, God the Son, the eternal Son of God, is not ashamed to call them, to call us his brothers. He identifies with us. No wonder it says that he always makes intercession for us. We are not them to him. Father, please bless them. We are his. He identifies with us. The picture is of Moses when God said, I'll destroy them and I'll make a new nation out of you, Moses. I've had enough. Moses says, you're going to destroy them, destroy me. I'm standing with them. Jesus stands with us as God made flesh and makes intercession for his brothers, for his people. They are not them down there. Other scriptures picture us as being written in the palms of his hands. Well, I thought there were nail holes there. Well, they'll do. We are written in the palms of his hands, graven upon his heart. People say Jesus was a great teacher. Well, yes, he was, but he didn't call down great truths from somewhere up in the sky. He didn't pretend to be human. People say Jesus made a way for us to come back to God. Well, maybe, but we'd never have made it back if all we'd been offered was a way. No, he came to us. He came where we are. He identified himself with us, stood in our place, walked our walk, lived our life, suffered where we should have suffered and died what we should have died. He is not ashamed to call us brothers. Which has me asking, am I ever ashamed of him? He's not ashamed of us. See, so far we've learned this. Man was created for glory, honor, and rulership with the angels serving him. But has been made for a while lower than the angels, subject to death because of sin. We do not see man ruling. We do not see man sharing the glory of God. But we see Jesus, who though eternal God was made for a little while lower than the angels, so as to be with us, So that he would suffer with us and for us and die our death. So defeating sin and death. He is now crowned with glory and honour and rules over all creation. And to add the third bit to this. And as he has accomplished those things for us, we will one day inherit what is his. We become the heirs of the world. If we are in Jesus. We are heirs of the glory of God. We inherit what Jesus has won because he didn't actually win it for himself. He won it for us. He left heaven and left glory and laid down his privileges so that he might rescue us and bring us to be where he is. Men and women, glorified beings living under the eternal care of a loving Father.
Jesus has done it. The outcome is this. Jesus, the eternal Son of God, is joined to us through his true humanity. So that everything he did was done for us. I don't want to go quoting lots of Romans to you this morning, so I won't. Let me just summarize to say, if we share in his death, if we know what it is to have died to sin through the cross of Jesus, we shall share in his resurrection, in his glory, and in his rule. We will sit with him in his throne. That is why baptism in water matters, because it acts out our being buried with him and being raised to a new life. We share in his death and burial. We then share in his immortal and glorious life. The Bible's shorthand for that is eternal life. It's immortal life and it's glorious life and it's the life of God in us. Now, I've got some more things you think I've done. No, I've got some more things to say about Jesus. Because that's my, that's my goal today. Talk about him. But let me just go back a bit. How many of you have read the book of Exodus lately? If you're in through the Bible in a year, you'll have done Exodus recently. Okay? Are you seeing some... Yes, yes, yes. You should be seeing some histories from Exodus. The children of Israel were slaves under Pharaoh in Egypt. God appointed Moses as his messenger and as leader to Israel. Pioneer, you know? That, those, that, that name? Captain, that's what, that was Moses' job. To bring about their rescue, God humbled Pharaoh and the Egyptians by sending death among them. On one night, killing all the firstborn. But the Israelites were saved from that terrible curse, scourge, by applying the blood of a lamb to the entrance of their homes. The angel of death came that night and passed by wherever the blood was displayed. That's why the Feast of Remembrance is called the Passover. Having been released from Egypt, the Israelites trekking across towards the Red Sea and on towards the Promised Land, Pharaoh changed his mind and pursued them with his war chariots. Moses called out to the Lord and the Lord parted the Red Sea. Moses led the people through a parted Red Sea, which then closed back over and drowned the Egyptians. You've probably heard the joke before of, the, the boy, little boy who's a Christian boy and he's in school and the teacher says to him of course the, the, the sea they went through was only a few inches deep you know and he said oh okay and then the little Christian boy says well hallelujah what a miracle what she said he said well he drowned all those Egyptians in a few inches of water Moses then led these people through the wilderness for almost 40 years. God providing for them day after day, water, meat, bread, manna as it was. 38 years, nearly 40 years in the desert. Moses started that job when he was 80. And finished when he was 120. I'm making no predictions here. His successor, Joshua, which is the same name as Jesus, then led them into their promised land. Why do I repeat that history? Because every bit of it points to the Lord Jesus. Every bit of it. That's why this letter 
keeps pointing us to. It's all about Jesus. Jesus is better. But we see Jesus. I'm going to give you three headings. I, want you, I really do hope you'll remember them. They all stop with L. What do you expect? Jesus is our Lamb. It is said so often in judgment. The first words of John the Baptist when he saw Jesus coming was, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And it goes on from there. The Lamb of God and the blood of the Lamb are a constant theme through the, gospel, through the, through the Scriptures. Jesus died on the cross at Golgotha at the very hour when the Passover lambs were being killed in Jerusalem. At the very time. He is our Passover. Corinthians says, Christ our Passover has been slain. He is our Passover. We'll be remembering it in Breaking Bread in a while. He is our atonement. He is our salvation. Everything that works for us in the grace and power and wisdom of God was won for us by the death of Jesus. We are saved by the blood of the Lamb. And as John Piper commented earlier, uh, two weeks ago, people sometimes say they don't like these, these bloody songs, songs with a lot of blood in them. He said, well, check Revelation. We'll be singing bloody songs forever. <laughs> we'll still be singing we are saved by the blood of the Lamb. You understand? I'm not, well, he maybe he was, but anyway. <laughs> Jesus is our Lamb. Now, that's a great foundation. But that is not all that Jesus is. He's essentially and crucially, meaning cross, yes, the Lamb of God who take away, takes away our sins. And because he has died and paid for our sins, we can be forgiven. And at the very beginning of being a Christian, you should know God loves you and has forgiven you because Jesus died for you. You should know that deep in your guts, deep in your heart. That you know you're forgiven. He's our lamb. But he's not just a lamb. He's our liberator. Now I'm giving you an L version of a very common Bible word, redeemer. A redeemer is someone who sets you free, who rescues you, who puts you back into freedom from slavery, from imprisonment. They redeem you. They rescue you. Jesus is our liberator. Now listen to this. When Jesus was transfigured before three of his disciples, you remember his face shone like the sun and his, even his clothes shone like a... Like, 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 a, like a halogen lamp, we might say. Two guys turned up to that small party. One was called Moses, and one was called Elijah. Isn't that interesting? Law and the prophets. Hmm. And it, Luke tells us what conversation they had with Jesus. And it's this. They were discussing with him the departure, Greek word exodus, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. They were discussing the exodus that Jesus was going to make. Moses, leader of the exodus, is discussing with Jesus the exodus that Jesus is going to make. What great freedom is Jesus going to bring? What great deliverance is Jesus going to make? He's going to the cross. And by going to the cross... He's going to defeat death. And by being raised from the dead, he's going to defeat all the powers of darkness. Sin, grave, death, devil. All defeated. 
Why? So that he can lead his people into freedom. He's the liberator. Now I want to say again that historically most of the church has been more ready to speak of the Lord Jesus being a sacrifice and the source of forgiveness of sin than to go on to declare him to be our saviour, redeemer, liberator who can actually free us from our lifetime habits of sin and who will continue to work in us to sanctify us through the truth. That's why the resurrection of Jesus matters so much. He is not a dead saviour hanging still on a cross having made atonement by his blood. He's a living Lord and Saviour whose life is at work in those who love him. said it many times now. Grace is not just pardon, it is power. It brings the possibility of change. Grace changes us and moves us forward towards glory. Jesus is our liberator. Now I might say more about that on Easter Sunday morning. The third one is this, and it's the one that comes up in these scriptures here. Jesus is not so much the author as the leader. Leading God's children to be home with their father. He's the pioneer. He's the prince. He's the captain. Later in Hebrews, the Jesus who couldn't bring his people into their rest is contrasted with the Jesus who gives his people rest. The first is Joshua, successor to Moses. The second is our Lord Jesus, Son of God, Son of Man. Jesus is our leader. Now, I want to hit some headlines here about Jesus being our leader. Jesus, our leader, has walked in the very path that we must go. Whatever difficulty and trial we come to in life, he knows, he understands, he has been there before us. Human emotion, loss, grief. Jesus turned up at the graveside of people he loved, you know that? He saw people grieving over a child, a widow grieving over her only son. Moved with compassion, Jesus did something about it. He walks the path. He walks the path where we must go. Second one, Jesus, our leader, calls us to follow him. To follow him. Follow me. Where are you going? Just follow me. What will it be like? Just follow me. How does it finish up? Just follow me. The disciples didn't have a lot to go on, did they? All they heard was, follow me. Jesus didn't give them any promises. Except the hardships. Except the difficulties. You'll be hated by everyone. They'll, they'll scourge you in the, in the, in the synagogues. And kick you out of the synagogues. And <laughs> follow me. Jesus came and was made like us. We must come and be made like him. Andrew Murray. Why do you follow him? So that you become like him. That's why we follow him. It is enough that a servant becomes like his master. That's why we will endure trials and difficulties. Because those things handled with grace through faith will make us more like Jesus. 
If they're not handled by, with grace through faith, if they're not handled in a godly way, they'll make you bitter and twisted. Never mind, you don't want to go there. The hard times do not necessarily make you strong. It depends on how you respond to them. Jesus will calls us to follow him. Now to follow him means you sometimes got to leave some stuff. You've got to make some choices. Some of those choices are as sharp as a scalpel. You make a... That is going. That's behind. You cut it off. Because you're following him. Jesus, our leader, will care for us from beginning to end. You think Moses did a good job? Here, he's just a picture of Jesus. Just a shadow. Our Lord Jesus will protect us and provide for us if we follow him. Remember the pattern prayer? You know, give us this day daily bread. He does not enter trial. Deliver us from the evil one. What are we doing? We're submitting ourselves to our leader. Saying, you're my protector. You're my provider. I want to be kept by you. I want, to be, I want my feet to be guided by you. He will care for us from beginning to end. If we will follow him. Jesus will lead, will lead us through the wilderness of this world. You know, this is my prayer in the desert. You know, the desert's not just the day I wake up and I don't feel like a Christian today. What happened to that? I don't know. I don't, know. I feel, I don't, I don't feel right today. More. The desert is just being alive in this planet which is fallen and broken and full of sin. The old hymn that I grew up hearing was written, written in Welsh. Guide me, O thou great Jehovah, pilgrim through this barren land. I am weak, but thou art mighty. Hold me with thy... It's more Pakistani than Russia. Better stop. <laughs> Hold me with thy powerful hand. Bread of heaven, fill me now and evermore. You see, when you know you're weak, you start to look for help. When you think you're strong, you're heading for a tumble. Jesus will lead us through the wilderness of this world. We don't need all the wisdom and all the answers. You think God owes, owes you all the answers? You're not big enough to handle all the answers. <laughs> That's the message to Job, wasn't it? God turns up finally and speaks to Job and says, You want all the answers? You're not big enough to handle all the answers, Job. You can't handle this. It is enough for us that he's our shepherd and that we are his sheep. And the last one is Jesus will bring us into our inheritance. When he says he's going to take us home to the Father, he's going to do it. He will not, cannot fail. It's not possible that he should fail. He will bring us to glory. So man, who was made to rule as God's prince over creation and be crowned with glory and honor, was, because of his sin, made for a while lower than the angels. Jesus became man, joined us where we were, being made a little lower than the angels, earthly, mortal, and then suffered and died in our place, 
raised from the dead, he's now clothed with glory and honor and rules over all things. And we will one day join him, sit alongside him, and share in his glory and his rule. And if that sounds strange to you, I have to tell you this. That is the consistent teaching of the New Testament. This is the gospel. Understanding this, Isaac Watts, the hymn writer, in the hymn, Jesus shall reign where'er the sun, wrote this. Blessings abound where'er he reigns. The prisoner leaps, unloosed his chains. The weary find eternal rest, and all the sons of want are blessed. Where he displays his healing power, death and the curse are known no more. In him, the tribes of Adam boast more blessings than their father lost. The message of Hebrews, written to those from a Jewish background who under trial of their faith might deny Jesus and return to Judaism, is completely relevant to us today. Our lamb and our liberator is also our leader. He will take us through whatever we face to our glorious inheritance as the children of God. And on the way there, as, as his, it, whenever it's necessary, he will help us to endure, he will help us to suffer, he will help us even if the time comes to die, if need be. But all that Jesus has done for us must be believed, taken hold of, received by us through faith. You must take hold of him through faith, look to him, follow him. He took you with him to the cross, the Bible says. He raised you with himself from death to life. You acted out in baptism. There's really no such thing as salvation apart from Jesus himself. People talk about, have you got salvation, brother? Well, they used to in old days. Listen, it's not a something, it's a someone. It's Jesus. He who has the Son has the life. And he who does not have the Son does not have the life. Eternal life, said Jesus, is knowing God. And Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. Andrew Murray makes this lovely comment. Jesus is responsible for you. He's taken full responsibility for you. Take him and trust him as your leader. Trust him as your lamb and your liberator and your leader. Endure whatever you face in life. Seeing him and following him. This phrase from a hymn of Charles Wesley, which was new to me until two weeks ago. Our strength, thy grace. Our rule, thy word. Our end, the glory of the Lord. Jesus will lead us home. Let's pray together. We still our hearts before you, Lord Jesus. We're amazed at your humility. Laid aside your privileges. Became a servant, became a man, became a sacrifice. And we are so glad that you now have the reward of all of that. Raised from the dead, exalted to the Father's throne received all authority in heaven and earth, you will be honoured as God. The name of Jesus will be put alongside God 
And God the Father will be delighted. His soul will be delighted that his son is so honored. We want to join in with that chorus, Lord. But right now in life, we, we need so much to see you. To see you. We see Jesus. And we need to be following you. The only safe place on planet Earth is to be following Jesus. So we pray, Holy Spirit, fill our hearts with him. Like the the Welsh hymn writer said, we know what he meant, bread of heaven feed me. Jesus, fill our hearts with yourself. Holy Spirit, feed us on Jesus. Bread of heaven. that we may see him and treasure him and follow him. Why don't you say your own prayer to him right now? Take a moment. Say your own prayer to him. And if you have never come to know him, you've never bowed your heart before him, acknowledge Jesus as king. The lamb who went to the cross, yes, but also the liberator has come to deal with your past, to free you from your sins. It will take responsibility to be your leader, to guide you through life to your final glorious inheritance. Why don't you surrender your heart to him right now? Jesus, please, let me come to you. Please forgive me. Please free me. Please let me follow you. Simple. Do it now. Do it right now. Thank you, Lord Jesus.